you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. Hey, everybody. Before we get started on today's episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast, I just wanted to share something really exciting with you that I've been working on called Foundations. And this is really building foundations in order to live a life of excellence. You know, for me, many of you know my story. Um, I have achieved uh, many levels of success. I found joy in many different areas of my life. And I've been setting and achieving goals for more than 20 years. And then tragedy struck. And among other things, I was drawn into this season of reflection, really a gut check to understand what I was pursuing, who I was becoming, and even who I was in that moment. It was such a fruitful opportunity for me going back to the beginning and relaying the foundation and getting clear on who I was. And through that season, 2019 has been the most joy-filled year of life I've ever lived, and now I want to share that with you. That's why I created this foundations program. It's a 90-day opportunity for you to do what I was able to do and hopefully to enable you to live the best year yet in 2020. So you can go to ryanjamesmiller.com slash foundations to check it out. With that, enjoy this next episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I'm stoked today because every time I get the opportunity to uh, sit down and have discussion with a friend, um, it, it does a couple of things. I think it really solidifies why I have grown to care for and like the people that I uh, that I have in my community of friends and colleagues, but also it it never fails me to learn something new. And this gentleman specifically has been in a lot of life transition and change. And so there's a lot to learn. And so with that, I welcome Tim Lamakin to the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Ryan, how you doing? Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I'm Jackson Tan. I'm Jackson Tan. <laughs> oh, and 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 we're gonna we'll talk about this in a little bit. But he's he's extremely excited because he's about to avoid a horrific winter um, <laughs> that he would have been living in had he been in Vermont, uh, where he oh. was just recently, and yeah. now he's living in sunny Orlando, Florida. That's right. That's right. So, My wife is probably more happy about that than I am, but <laughs> happy wife, happy life, something, something like that. that. Something that sounds familiar. Yeah. No, you know, it's, 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 it's really kind of funny, right? Because I remember um, having the conversation with you, you know, about, you know, the, the fact that you guys were moving from Southern California to the East Coast. And while obviously you knew that there was some challenge there, you weren't blind to that. You were also excited at the opportunity and hopeful and looking forward to the community. And, you know, sometimes that get that uh, creates some natural blinders to things that like, even when you know, it's going to be hard, you get there and you're like, holy shit what happened yep. right? oh yeah i mean yeah we were we, we literally got to the east coast and we're like what type of minivan do we want to get because we just <laughs> had our third right and they're like you don't need all-wheel drive you know it doesn't really snow up here you know the first winter that we were there it got like two and a half feet of snow the most they'd had in like eight years i'm like what are we doing here guys you know so it's <laughs> Yeah, you learn real quick when you get out there. It's fun. But uh, uh, but the community cool. out there is definitely like totally different than yeah. it was out in Southern California. I mean, we, we moved in the first day. Neighbors we hadn't even met yet were bringing over food for us. Like, hey, mm. welcome to the community. And you know, we moved down to Florida. We still haven't met our neighbors. We've been here almost two months. <laughs> yeah. So the, the culture is very different. Uh, You're back in Southern California, different. right? It's the same yeah. thing. Feels the same way. <laughs> Pull in, close your garage. Close your garage. Nobody talks to anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, yeah. Um. So okay. So let's give a little bit of background as to some of the reason why we're here today, uh, having this conversation. Allow people in a little bit, and then we're just going to dig as we always do and see where this goes. So, um, you today uh, sit as the president owner. Uh, and partner in uh, a private charter company uh, by the name of Wing Aviation Group. 
Uh, that's a brand new endeavor for you. You guys are really fresh into the game in terms of that specific organization, though you have a long-standing history uh, in the private charter space. Uh, so uh, owning, flying uh, airplanes, managing fleets of planes, flying uh, wealthy people, important people, super excited, overzealous people that want a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. And so why don't you help everybody get an understanding for how you got into this in the first place? Because it's yeah, pretty unique. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, so I got I got started flying when I was eight years old. And that was just, that was the fun thing to do with my dad growing up. That was, wait, that wait. was literally it. Like, he held, he handed you the stick at one point? Oh yeah, like sitting on yellow pages so I could see above the dashboard and having me grab the yoke and fly. Like that's how it all started for me. And it was that was the fun thing that we did on the weekends together. My dad was a pilot for the Boy Scouts of America and that's how he got started in it. And growing up, that was just the expensive hobby that our family had. By the way, right, okay, hold on. Like I think there's gonna be a lot of interruption today because of just how crazy this is to think about. So like um, we were um, a middle class, a family growing up and my parents were divorced. So there were, there were some dynamic challenges there, but like, um, I rode motorcycles with my dad and we went fishing. And I mean, at one point we had a boat, which that, that, that puts you in the upper echelon of, of typical, like growing up in American society. I mean, maybe not today. But when you say that, like, you know, my, my precious time with my dad was sitting on yellow pages, flying airplanes at eight years old. <laughs> I mean, like, do, do you like catch even that when you say that? Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, that's oh, crazy yeah. to, to, oh, yeah. to think about. No, it is. I mean, it's, uh, we're, we're very fortunate and blessed as a family, obviously, but like that was, that was a very unique thing even still today to be able to say like, that's how I got into flying. It's like, I was that young, you know, yeah. my, uh, you know, at the time, and this is, this is going back way in the days, but like, this is going back before the pilot shortage that there is now, but like the boy Scouts of America and a lot of these other youth programs are trying to encourage people to get into aviation mm -hmm. because they knew that this kind of stuff was coming. So like for my dad, it was like, well, it's just a hobby. It's fun, but Hey, maybe this is something Tim could get good at, you know, mm -hmm. and just, you know, let's just, go out and, and try it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, most people just don't really appreciate it. I still do, even though I've done it for a long, long time, but it was, um, you know, it, it was unique being punished for not having great grades in school and not get to fly an airplane versus being grounded <laughs> to go to your room. You know, like you don't get to fly an airplane this week because you got C's, you know, so. Oh, no no flying for a week. That was yeah. that was the punishment for me. <laughs> I think that's something good to hold over a kid's head for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you you grab an airplane stick for the first time at eight years old. And when do you really start to feel like or when do you remember feeling like the passion to because I'm sure mm. like it's a kid, you know, you're a kid, like that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. but I never I mean, maybe like small aspirations, but I never really like had this desire to like ride motorcycles and race supercross professionally, even though maybe that would have been a cool thing to do for a little while. So when did it yeah. start to become like more than just a, a fun thing you did with your dad? It was, uh, I remember it distinctly. I was 12 years old. I was in sixth grade. That's all right. Sixth grade. And I'll never forget is the first time I went to a professional flight school called flight safety international to start training. And I literally left Southern California at John Wayne airport with a, you know, like an escort that took me and escorted me to the gate, got me on the airplane because I was still a minor. And I was picked up in Wichita, Kansas to get taken to the school where I went and did my first, you know, set of professional training in these simulators that are full motion and all this other stuff. And like, I'll, I remember vividly when the instructor came up and he's like, are you lost? I'm like, no, I'm here for my first day of flight school. You know, it's like, this is really cool. And he goes, are you Tim? I'm like, yeah. And there, Dave Ogren is his name. I'll never forget his name. But that's when I realized like, this is a big deal. And this is really cool. Like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like it just, for whatever reason, in that moment, it clicked. Like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm literally missing days in sixth grade to go fly an airplane yeah. and learn how to fly airplanes. Like that's and, when I knew it was. It, and was that normal? I mean, uh, no, like, I just don't feel like a 12 year old going through flight school is commonplace. It's not, it's definitely okay. not. I mean, learning to fly like at your local airport 
could be commonplace, but getting sent to go and, and do that at school was definitely not commonplace. And it kind of tied into, you know, my dad at the time was starting his own business with a small airplane. So he didn't need to go to that school, but because he had just bought a brand new airplane, that school comes with it. Got so it. he's like, well, Tim's got the passion for it. I'm going to send him to school. You know, that's awesome. Um, you know, my dad had a very unique approach about, you know, education, which is if you don't need it, don't go do it. Now it's very, very controversial. Right. But for me, it actually helped me because yep. instead of, you know, wasting time doing something else that wasn't necessarily going to benefit me, I was in doing getting good at what I was going to, you know, be passionate about and, and do the rest of my life. Well, and, and I think that like that, uh, so I, I'm very supportive of that statement and that belief. And it's interesting. I was speaking at a college locally here not too long ago and a kid in the college classroom asks me, I think he was in his second year of college and he said something to the effect of like, um, you know, if I don't feel passionate about being in school and I see another direction, should I continue in school? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, um, you know, my friend who is your professor is sitting in the back room and I'm about to get really honest about what I say, <laughs> but I, I, I firmly believe that like there is a place for school um, mm -hmm. and there is a place for college specifically for certain professions that it becomes a necessity. But I think that um, through the baby boomer generation and us that grew up as children to those boomers, I think that for the most part, you know, like school was a, a, a security blanket, right? It's like, if you get a college education, eventually like you're going to do something good, but that, that removed a lot of opportunity for people like yourself uh, to, to, to become good at a craft or a trade. Like, I don't even know what you would consider flying an airplane other than awesome. But like, you know, when, <laughs> when you're forcing every, yeah. huh? Okay. A trade. A yeah. Trade. So it's like, you know, go to college uh, and then go, you know, get a steady job. And it's like, well, what happened to like, you know, fulfilling these desires we have inside ourselves to do the things that, that we're good at or that we think we're good at. And so I love that. I, I, yeah. And obviously in hindsight, I mean, I don't know, you're in your what mid thirties right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, 35. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, um, amazing to look back 23 years. I mean, that was the best decision your dad could have ever made for you, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I mean, even I just sent out a job offer for a pilot that I'm looking to hire. And, uh, and he called me and goes, Tim, I, I, I want to take this job. It's flying the Gulfstream, the second Gulfstream that I just bought. And he goes, but you know, I can't afford to take the job. And I said, Well, what do you mean? You know, it's a, you know, it's almost an $80,000 a year job that's like good money, right? He goes, my student loans are killing me. Ugh. I got to pay $2,000 a month in student loans and I, I need to make more money. And I said, well, do you have any of the job offers right now? He goes, no. So I don't know what to do. And like, I see, and he's a young kid, he's 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but I hired him at my previous company uh, that I worked at, uh, out on the East coast before starting my own thing. So I know him, he's a good pilot. He's a good stick. But to me, it's kind of like heartbreaking that these guys are, are burdened with, a degree that they didn't need mm -hmm. and now it's keeping them from getting into a career path that could be a very good long-term thing for them. Brilliant. And so, so I offered him, offered him some advice and I think he's going to, he's going to go forward with it, but that's like a perfect example. Or even my wife, Alyssa, you know her, like she's one of the smartest people that I know. It's one of the reasons why I married her. She's smarter than I am and better in so many other ways than I am. But like she spent the money to get her college degree and now she's a wonderful stay at home mom but she feels guilty that she went to school and she's like life changed. And now it's like, it's not something that she was going to, yep. it's not something she's going to use anymore. And yep. so like, you can't plan for everything, but no. like the, no. if you don't need it, especially today, like either the, the, the education system needs to be get more affordable or people mm -hmm. need to realize that there's not a bias against you realistically in certain fields where if you don't have a degree, you're not useful. I mean, yep. I have no college degree. Yep. And I'm running, you know, at one point, six months ago, I was running a $180 million a year business. Yep. And now I'm starting my own, you know, yep. so like, and I've started already generating, already generating almost $3 million worth of revenue, like in a very short period of time or continuing to be successful. Like you don't need a college degree to be able to do that. You need yep. certain things that college teaches you, but life experiences with good mentors, good friends, people that have been in the business, that is almost more valuable to me than, than anything else. For you know? sure. I cannot I mean, agree more. I mean, just for fun, when I, uh, this is like eight months ago, I took like a, an accounting class 
at, uh, at uh, Wilmington University, just for fun, just be like, what, what can I learn from this? You know, what can I get from it? Didn't open a single book, did, just showed up at class, <laughs> you know, and I, I think I totally ended up taking like six or seven classes, but 4.0 GPA and not reading a thing because the life experiences that I had brought yep. to the table taught me everything I needed to know, you know? Now, I'm not saying that as, as a means for like, oh yeah, screw college and like, don't do it. I'm just saying like, that's not, if you're, if you're not sure what you want to do in life, don't go to college thinking you're going to figure it out yep. because that's, that's really not the case. So true. You know? So true. Um, so that's, you know. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're back on this, uh, this, this life track. And so 12, you get into flight school or you start flight school uh, and you're going to become the next top gun pilot. And no, um, so you get, you get into flight school and you are fulfilling this passion that you have inside of yourself. Um, at what point do, does that become uh, a job? Like what, when, what, at what point do you start providing as the way of, uh, or by that, by that means? So legally it's when you're 18 is when you can get your commercial. It's the youngest age you can be for the FA to be able to get you your commercial rating. You have to have a certain amount of hours and, you know, prerequisites to be able to make it, but that's, literally what I did I got all of my pilot ratings literally on the day that I turned the age for it so mm -hmm. like my on my 18th birthday I literally ditched a day in my senior year in high school to go take my check ride with the FAA and then flew a trip that same day to start getting paid for it wow. <laughs> so you know it was my first 500 bucks that I ever made so I mean great wow. you know it was a, it was a that's literally the first time that I did that. Okay. And so that is working for your dad, right? Correct. So your dad owns this company, which at that point I'm sure was far greater than one airplane. Um, and so how, how did that dynamic work? Like, what was it like? So I, I, I'll just share a brief bit about like my experience with my dad and then, and, and to, to give some help here. So uh, my first job was working for my dad. I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, cleaning up around his uh, auto shop and doing inventory, cleaning floors, cleaning up after cars. And in the moment, it was the most miserable experience ever because my dad was anal. It was like his way or no way. It was 100% or 0%. There was no calling in sick. Like I hated, hated, hated many of those days. And it was hard to enjoy working with my dad then. In hindsight, the major, the mass majority of the work ethic that I have, which of a couple of things that I can really gloat in, that is one of them. Like I have a really strong work ethic. It, it was because of that. So mm. I learned good, but in the moment it was brutal. So like, how is that dynamic with your dad? I mean, it, it's hard. You know, you, that's your dad. You're his child, but then all of a sudden that becomes your boss. Like, what? What? How did that start? Like, how did that relationship start on that side of things? So it started, I mean, some of you, my parents got divorced in high school. So like there was, a, there was a lot of friction there. I mean, I worked for my dad for 17 years. So like that was, I bolstered my experience working for him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, it, I mean, anyone who's worked with family knows that it's the best and the hardest thing you'll ever do in business. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it is, it is very difficult to do. Uh, and it's even more difficult if you add other family dynamics, divorce, drama, personality conflicts, whatever the case is, um, into the mix on that. So that it was definitely the uh, same thing as you. I, I learned a lot of really good disciplines from him. I learned a lot about mental toughness from him. Um, sometimes you just need to suck it up and do it even if you don't want to. Yeah. And that is at a, at a younger age, that was definitely a lesson that I had to learn multiple times. Like it's mm -hmm. not something I got the first time. Like, um, you know, I definitely was not, um, I was not your typical owner's kid. You know, most people that you think of them, you and I are probably similar. And this is where, you know, they think it's the owner's son that's working in, in the shop with everybody. Well, you know, he doesn't do his fair share of things. He's not pulling his weight. Like I definitely went to the other end of the spectrum of making sure that, you know, I was better than everybody else and yeah. knew everything the best so that nothing could come back and look at my dad as somebody who was, you know, employing a deadbeat son, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, uh, in working for him during that time frame, the, like the biggest thing that I think that uh, he did that was helpful was that 
he put other people in place above me to, to kind of act in or in between him and I, at least for the first 10 years or so, mm. uh, where I was reporting to a chief pilot and that guy was reporting to my dad. So for that first 10 years, there was always, there was a little tension, a little drama, but not a lot, you know, yeah. um, when I moved up in management and I became the chief pilot, that's when things became very difficult to work yeah. with because now it's, my opinion and his opinion directly mm. with nothing in between. Yeah. And that was definitely the hardest seven years working together for mm. sure, for sure. Um, and a lot of lessons learned in that, yeah. <laughs> in that time frame. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a lot that's going on there, right? Because I, I think that's about when you and I started to become friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, at a distance for a little while, we got closer over time, like started to watch some of those challenges take place. Um, And and I do want to affirm the fact that like, I was always, I think when I, uh, before I knew you well, I would have just assumed that like, I mean, the life of a private pilot, like it's, it seems pretty cool. Like you don't really have to, like you fly some trips, but your time is limited and you know, how, how long you can be in the air and it's your family business and um, you, um, uh, I mean, we all kind of do, but live in a nice area. And so it could have been very easy to assume that it's like, you know, you're kind of riding the coattails. And yet, the more that I got to know you, both in seeing your ethic for work and life outside of business, but then even once I started to spend time talking to you about just, you know, what life inside of the business would look like, I started to recognize that you were busting your ass in ways that other people weren't, right? Like flying Mm -hmm. to the maximum of what you were allowed to fly, you know, per FAA regulation, you know, in the airplane. And then when you weren't flying, you were in the office, you were helping to manage the rest of the team and looking for pilots and trying to reschedule and make things happen. And so, I mean, I, I definitely affirm the fact that like, you were working really, really, really hard and it became a problem, right? Not just in the sense of um, a challenge maybe that you had with your dad, but that starts to spill over, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. married um, yep. and little by little, like you, you could not turn the spigot off. So you had a little daughter and then you had a little son <laughs> and then you just kept spitting out all these little children yeah. that just further creates stress and so how, how were you managing um, all of the struggle and uh, some frustration, I'm sure, challenge, mm-hmm. uh, even opportunity at work, and, and trying to balance that with not just letting that just pile onto your wife and kids at home? I didn't. I mean, full transparency. I mean, my, my wife took the brunt of a lot of that stuff for a long time. I mean, it's, it sounds more cruel to say, it, but I mean, I was really lying to myself for a long time about why I was doing what I was doing. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. I mean, the, 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 the family history of the Lamarckins is they've started family businesses and then the son carries on the tradition. Right. And so, you know, that was what I was telling myself of why I was doing extra days, extra time in the office, time away from the kids. That's, that was literally what I was telling myself, I'm doing this for, for the reward of owning the business someday. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to fly when I want to, I want to run and own a business and I want to benefit others with this incredible thing called aviation and the industry that we can do as a job. Like how cool is that? Now I want to, to be a, a blessing to others in the form of a business ownership, you know, an ownership. And, and I really just lied to myself, frankly. I mean, my wife had told me for a long time, like, listen, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, your dad's gotten remarried. He needs to focus on his new family and his new kids. Like you need to respect that. And you need to, you need to realize it's probably not happening for you, you know? And I refuse to believe it for, for seven years. I refuse to believe it. And, um, there just came a point now. I don't want to say that I snapped at it, but I just realized like there just, there just came a moment. I'll never, forget. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places. And, he and I just got into something that was just stupid. I don't even remember what the, what the conversation was. It was just a stupid conversation about a difference of opinion. And I called my wife. I'm like, I'm done. I'm just done. I need to go out and do my own thing. It's been 17 years working for him. I can't keep hearing the, 
you've only worked for me. How do you know what it's really like out on the other side of things? Like you get fired, you know, the typical father son fights that don't, you say things you don't mean. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, there was credibility in what he's saying. I'd never worked for anyone else before. I'd never gone on on my own. I'd never proven myself. And so it finally just festered to the point where I'm like, okay, I have to go do this. Like in, and part of not having a self-confidence of knowing that I could, I just had to take a leap and just go, I, I just have to try to go do something on my own. And it couldn't just be something small. It had to be something big. It had to be something that was so far outside of what I had been doing. And so beyond my current experience that I had to go get that job, which was the first thing. And then I had to go and kick ass at that job and mm -hmm. take names. Like, that was what I knew I had to do. And I had to do that with the knowledge of my wife, and three kids. My third wasn't even born yet. I mean, you remember, yeah. um, Lydia wasn't even born yet. I mean, it was, Alyssa was still pregnant and I'm not going, okay, what am I going to go do to just do this next thing? Because my marriage was suffering. My kids were suffering. I mean, I was, I was home eight, nine days a month, you know, gone the rest of the time. I mean, the Alyssa just took on a lot of stuff you know, at the same time being essentially a single mom while I was out playing pilot. And, yeah. um, and I think that I'm, I'm very glad cause I had a mentor at the time and friends like you that was bouncing all the stuff off that we're going, you know, you got one family mm -hmm. and you only have so much time with them. You know, you cannot replace this time with them at this mm -hmm. young of an age. And once they're gone, once the time's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And you know, the divorce rate amongst pilots is high. It's like 70% now. And, uh, and I just started watching some, um, some documentaries and I'll never forget it. There was a, it's on Netflix. It was on Netflix. I think it was like the last man on the moon or something like that. And it had the, it was one of the last astronauts, um, uh, the pilots or the astronauts name was Cernan, but, um, he was reflecting on all these things they did in the Apollo program, right? Guys who pioneered and went to the moon, right? All these unbelievable feats in that time frame of American history, right? They had a 60% divorce rate at that time in the 1960s, okay? And he said, and, and looking back on it all now, we were unfair. We were selfish to our families. And I, and I remember watching that going, if that guy, who's an American hero, is saying that about his career choices, what am I doing? I'm living a very similar life, you know? And so I, I, I needed to assure my wife and my kids that, you know, I'm making a choice now since I can't have what I want with my, my own family and my dad's decision to do what he wanted to do with his business, I need to go out and make it on my own and put you guys as a priority. So I'm going to get a job where I can still be in aviation and I can run a flight department and be home every night, mm -hmm. you know, just the, the biggest and hardest thing I ever did. Now I miss the flying like crazy. Any true pilot will tell you like to go any length of time and not get a yoke in your hands and start, you know, flying an airplane. Like it, it kills you. It yeah. literally does. But mm -hmm. It's for a time, mm -hmm. you know, it's for, for right now. That's just what it is, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that you, you know, you illustrate many wonderful points that I think that um, as the result of your family dynamic, um, obviously working for your dad, not just because it was your dad, but uh, I mean, not just because it was your dad specifically, but just in general working for, you know, working for a parent. I think there's, there is, there's two extremes that we typically fall into. One is just this pure sense of entitlement, uh, which everything is going to come to me because my, my family has, you know, has earned it or something. Um, and, and it's just my place to kind of take the crown next. The other side of it, and which is where I really feel you fell into is this, I've got to continue to prove myself right to yes, prove to 100%. others to prove to my dad and ultimately to prove to myself that I can do it and there there is good in the midst of that but you know i find myself often when i'm coaching people i find myself often telling people your best is good enough and that that that's a really hard balance to find right because again like well if i do my best and i can just check out or you know what is my best and so there's always that tension too but i mean it really sounds like you became the victim of having to prove to yourself that you could be the best right it, yeah with a little twist because i i agree with everything you said but i i missed that last part of trying to be the trying to show myself that I could do something. I was constantly trying to show my dad mm. 
I can do this. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I didn't even have a thought in the world about Tim, you're doing really good things. Like you can do this, go do your own thing. I mean, that's, that's for, a, a, you know, for the longest time why I still stayed there is because I'm like, I know I can show him that I can do this. I know I can do it. I just, I just need a little more time. And that was the constant conversation that I would have with my wife, Alyssa. It's like, honey, this is suffering right now for the long term. Like, I get it. It stinks. But, you know, and I really believe that. I wholeheartedly believe like that was, that was going to be the case. And it wasn't until I started taking the first step of just, just apply, just apply for another job that I realized that when I started getting callbacks, I'm like, whoa, I am actually good enough to go do something else. I can actually do this. Like, okay, like, let's, let's go for the gold here. Let's go for the, the dream job that I want to have and do that. And that's kind of what it wasn't until I kind of built up a little bit of momentum mm-hmm. that I realized like, yeah, I can do this myself. It's good enough for me. I, I can actually go out and do this. Yeah. And, and, and that didn't happen right away. That took time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, I, again, I'm, I, I, um, very well recall a lot of this happening. And um, so you do finally get to this place where you decide that you uh, are going to go work somewhere else. And it's hard enough, I think, a lot of times, um, even when there's some frustration, disappointment, um, just in a traditional job for us to walk in and resign. Um, and, uh, and, and yet now you have to add in the fact that this is your dad who you love dearly, who um, even when they don't always show it in the best ways, loved mm-hmm. you dearly, cared yeah. for your family, loved your family. Um, so you're, you're up against that. You're up against the fact that it's like, oh yeah, like you're going to do, you, you had to know that he was going to also be pissed off and spiteful to some degree about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how, how did you process through like, okay, this is the way that I'm going to do this. Well, keep in mind the time frame was uh, you and I had talked, I said, Hey, I'm going out and I'm interviewing. I think I'm doing this. So when I got off of the job, our house was on the market and had sold. Alyssa was pregnant with our third and we were moving across the country and coordinating all this stuff. And I hadn't gotten to the point where I was able to give notice yet because I was waiting for, I was waiting for one last like final confirmation from them with the sign off letter to come back to me. And the next day I gave notice. And so, but I'd put the house on market in faith knowing like God's calling me to do this. So I got to do it. You know, like, so we put the house in the market, it sold. Alyssa's delivery date was like three weeks prior to the actual move. So I had a lot of balls in the air, you know, yeah, yeah. That I was juggling. So I, part of it was like, just, it, it was kind of like forced into it because so much was going on. And the other part of it was I wanted to be very intentional about how this all happened because a big part of why I had this opportunity was because of what my dad had sacrificed to allow me to fly. Yeah. So but a big part of why I was leaving is because of what, in my opinion, and I still believe is that he should have done the harder thing of listen, son, in some ways, I don't think you're ready, but this is the tradition. I'm handing this off to you. Yeah. Good luck. You know what yeah. I mean? I should, I felt he should have done that. So I, and he was a reason for leaving, you know, a mm-hmm. big part of it. Um, so I, I, I wanted to make sure that that point was made across. So, so I wrote a five page letter to him mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, explained all the reasons why I was leaving in a very loving, but also very direct way. And, yeah. and when I went into his office, I just, you know, I kind of went in with the thought of, you know, don't read this now. You know, I said, but you know, it's time for me to go, you know? And, and I told him, I said, you know, more important than anything is our relationship. And you and I both know that this is not working. You know, it's not working for my marriage. It's not working for you and I's working relationship. I love you as a son, but like, we can't keep going down this, this road mm-hmm. and, and expect things to continue to, to go well for you or for me. Yeah. And so, uh, and so the conversation itself was, uh, was actually very short uh, from the standpoint of actually giving notice. And then of course, from that point, it's like, well, where are you going? What are you doing? And I just said, well, I'm, you know, I got to lay into the next path for me. And, and, and the confirmation that it was a good decision to leave was when I told him, that I was going from a you know four airplane operation to a, at that time a twelve airplane operation of Gulf Streams and big airplanes. He's just like, you realize how big a deal this is. I, I don't think you realize what you're getting into. I'm like, that's why I gotta go, Dad. <laughs> this is why I gotta go because yeah. I, I believe I can do it, and I'm gonna go do it. Like this yeah. is just this is what I'm gonna go do. And um, 
and it was definitely one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have in my life. Mm. Um, but definitely one of the most important ones that I needed to have because it, 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 not a lot of people that work for their parents do that. Most of them just live with a dysfunction, continue to just work in that environment and then just let the relationship and the business ultimately fester. I mean, I think that's, that's what ends up happening with, with family businesses that die with a family and don't continue to grow is that, uh, that they don't put the priority on the people in the workplace and the relationships. And if you look at some of the very few um, businesses that are out there, uh, the Shea Holmes business, you know, we, we, uh, I know those people very, very well and got to talk with them very, very uh, a lot uh, while I was flying and doing a bunch of different things, but their mentality and how they train people, treat people, deal with problems. Um, the, the culture itself is conducive of, challenging people and supporting people in good times and in bad times in the business. And, and, um, and that was, that's not a a culture that's in small family businesses for most, for the most part. Totally. It's, it's, it's really not. I mean, they'll, they'll take care of them financially and, you know, it's a small mom and pop deal, but at the end of the day, when there's a father son relationship involved, that usually is not a, that's usually the most unhealthy relationship in the entire business. Yeah. Usually not. It's a very toxic one. Yeah. And, um, and I just, it just wasn't worth it anymore, you know? And, uh, and so I just had to make the decision to leave. So once that conversation was done and over with, (laughs) it was, you know, by no means was the easy part, you know, ahead of me. Yeah, here we go. It was was definitely a a, a lot of challenges ahead of us, but it was definitely the the healthiest thing that I could have done at the time um, to move out of that. Okay, so before we move on to the next stage of life, I have to ask because you, uh, from that point forward, didn't get to fly airplanes anymore. Um, And so during your umpteen year career as a pilot, what was the, I don't know, what was the most fun guest um, that you ever got to fly? (laughs) Uh, Categorize that. Politician, celebrity, athlete. Okay. Which one do you want? Let's hear him. (laughs) uh so uh probably the the politician the coolest one i got to fly was was gerald ford when he was still alive got to president ford and his wife and the secret service um i was 19 at the time actually that was really really cool um i got to fly um so 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 before you before you go farther than that so you're flying an ex-president of the united states um, were you guys flying one of your guys' current airplanes? So yes. 10, 12 seats or something like that on the yep. plane. So that's yep. pretty tight, right? For them to all be in there. So is that just chock full of secret service? So it was the, the Fords, two of them yep. and four secret service agents on the airplane. And what other precautions do you take? I mean, do they like, do you have to go through something extra so, special? Yeah. So, so I was, so keep in mind, I was still a senior in high school at the time. <laughs> so, I mean, this is just like crazy, so, right? So when, when that happened, um, I got, we knew that the trip was coming up and uh, it, it was like several days before the actual trip. So I was in my history class and I get called to the principal's office and I'm like, what is going on? Like, what? I didn't do anything like, you know, yeah. And I get a call to the principal's office and they go, you know, hey, Tim, we just got a call from the United States Secret Service asking for your disciplinary records and your student records. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm flying, you know, President Ford, you know, on Friday or whatever the day was and Friday night. And so, you know, that's probably why they do it. They're just like, okay. So I got back and my history teacher's like, you know, what, what was that all about? And I told him, he's like, can you get a picture? Yeah, sure, no problem. So, <laughs> so I got a picture and gave it to him when I was done. I still have the picture I copied from me, but uh, but yeah, it was. They definitely <laughs> did their research on me on yeah. my end of things, yeah. um, and uh, you know they they had, at the time this is before nine eleven, so they didn't yeah. have like the no fly list or anything like that. They just had the Secret Service measures, yeah. you know. So that's crazy. So you know we had an appointment an appointed agent that was with us at all times hanging out with us while the Fords were out doing their thing and then yeah. you know, when they came back you know they're all on the radios talking but there's there's definitely pre-planning yeah, yeah. That once. <laughs> um a- any any like crazy experiences of flying somebody and something just got out of hand 
yes. Uh, Dennis Rodman was definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah, that, you, that's <laughs> all you have Rodman, to say. <laughs> that's all I got to say on that uh, one, right? Definitely. He, he ended up cooling his heels, but, you know, he was uh, definitely an interesting one. We'll leave it at that. Oh, man, <laughs> to I'll fly. Bet. I mean, I flew uh, Kanye West. He was another fun guy to fly. I mean, this is when he was still on his – he was not the way he is now, I guess, but he was, uh, he was obsessed with wanting to stand on the wing of the airplane and take a picture. Stop and I'm, it. I'm sorry. You can't, oh, you you didn't can't let stand him on the wing. No, I didn't let her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, no, it, it, no. It, you know, it's interesting because um, it, it's getting a little bit more accessible today. But I think that I'll never forget. I was at work and I was getting ready to go to a meeting and you called me and you're like, hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to a meeting. And you said, well, can you get out of it? I'm like, well, you know, for what? Well, because we're flying to Scottsdale right now, and just want to say if you want to hop on the plane and go for a ride. I'm like, <laughs> I don't have a meeting anymore, right? <laughs> and so, like, you know, the experience of you know yeah. going in, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, different access to the airport, and you know, getting out on the tarmac, walking onto the airplane, you know, such a uh, such a different feel than most people get commercial and, uh, and, and so much better. Like it absolutely spoils you to the point where like, even now with services like uh, jet suite uh, that flies out of orange County here, um, you know, making it pretty easily accessible to fly, you know, semi-private, you you know, ride sharing planes with other yeah. people. Like it's just such a better experience. I mean, it definitely yeah. makes um, flying enjoyable and it, it makes you never ever want to fly anything other than that so super fun you know to be able to create that experience for other people and obviously you know flying with you is significantly more expensive than you know flying a ride share which is still significantly yeah. or can be more expensive than flying commercial but yeah super fun okay that's so what we tell our sales team they're selling an experience yeah you're not, you're I, not selling a point oh. to point a to point b you're, you're literally it's a time machine okay that you're selling the experience to these clients to that how valuable is their time Absolutely. If the time yeah, I mean, is I, worth this. That's the pitch. That's the angle that you yes. tell them. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the, 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 the allure is, you know, it's super cool. It's private, whatever, you know, and, and that is, that's absolutely amazing. But the actual experience of, and again, it's easier for me now because I've done it a couple of times to, to use a service, even like JetSuite is like you pull up, you don't have to go through TSA and all that nonsense. You literally, you know, 15 minutes before your flight, you walk on the plane, um, you've got kind of a private server because there's only a handful of people on the plane. You know, you get off on the other end and you're driven to, you know, where you need to go, right? The car like picks yeah. you up right there. And so, <clears throat> whereas even Las Vegas for us, I mean, if you fly commercial to Vegas, you need to be there at least an hour early, an hour 15 is the flight, then getting out the other side and, you know, everything. I mean, that's a three and a half hour uh, deal. Whereas when you fly private to Vegas, and if you were using a service like yours, it would be even better. But it's like, I can get that whole thing done in 90 minutes, right? I mean, that's yeah. just like that time. And then, you know, the experience in the air is just a billion times yeah. better. Well, we, we have clients too that, you know, they, they sell high-end clothing to a lot of retail stores and the mm -hmm. Targets and whatnot, right? When they go on these business trips all across the country, it's four, five, six day long event for them on the airlines. Whereas we can do all that on a private jet in two days Jeez. and knock all that stuff off. And then they're back at home with their families. They're in the office the next day. Like yep. the time savings is really where it comes into a play for a lot of the bigger corporations that start using private jet travel yeah. um, to, to make all that work. So, I mean, it, it totally depends on what your mission is, but yeah. like at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of different ways to make it work. Um, you just got to determine what the value of your time is. And for a lot of people that need this, it's very valuable. Well, and I think no. that like, um, you know, uh, with you, um, you know, now starting the business that you have today just demonstrates the fact that there is a need uh, in this sector of aviation to continue to uh, offer access to people. And, and then obviously, you know, the, the sharing, you know, services that are now coming into play, it's just, it's showing that like people value these types of things. I mean, I just, I, I, I took, and this one I didn't have to pay for, this was um, just by way of gift. I took a helicopter from John Wayne airport to a block from the Staples center to go to a concert a few weeks back. Uh, nice. on a rideshare helicopter service that is now being offered. And I know they're doing the same mm -hmm. thing in New York to try and get to LaGuardia. So it's like these things are becoming more available. And I think that it does 
show people that there is value to time, there is value to uh, a better experience. And so I think it's cool to see more and more of these things uh, becoming accessible to some degree to, uh, to, to, to more than just, you know, the upper echelon of business yeah. and or personal wealth. Yeah, I agree. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next two or three years in the space, because I think a lot of the, the smaller mom and pop, you know, operations, they're, they're going to end up getting absorbed by the bigger companies that want, that want the assets that they have to yeah. be able to kind of expand their growth. I mean, you see in, You've seen Wheels Up do that. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Wheels yeah. Up. They're they're doing that a lot right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're kind of um, they're kind of positioning themselves to be in a really good um, place in the market for all the different types of jets that they have to offer. But but they still haven't made any money yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, they're, they're they're bringing in a bunch of capital. So like, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And you know. Um, I'm going to stick with the model that I know works <laughs> <laughs> Probably <smart. laughs> and grow that. <laughs> okay. So uh, for sake of a little bit of time, because I, I'm really interested to get to, to somewhat of today's present. So yeah. you, um, you step away from the family business, you go yeah. to work for what turns into a significantly uh, wonderful opportunity, a large operation, mm -hmm. managing an entire business on the East coast uh, and how long did that go? 18 months? So yeah, it's a little longer than almost two years. Okay. Almost, almost two, two years. years. So two yeah. years, your family relocates to Vermont and you're enduring the winters, but enjoying some of what God has now uh, opened up to you out mm -hmm. there. You learn a lot. And then, um, all of a sudden I hear like, I'm going to go start my own business. And yeah. so what the hell happened? <laughs> That's a great question, man. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, like that, that was fast. Yes, it was. I mean, so, I mean, uh, this is unfortunately, in my opinion, where the corporate America gets a bad rap. But basically, I took, I took that company from, you know, it was a large operation. They weren't making very much, making about $100,000 a year, which is low. It's not much. And then we took them from that point to about $180 million a year business. I mean, and the company was making millions and millions of dollars a year profit. So, and I, that I'd quickly. gone from, you know, that, yeah, in 18 months. So I, in that time period, I, they'd gone from 18 airplanes to almost over 35 airplanes. Whoa. I had 120 pilots that I was overseeing, 10 dispatchers, maintenance coordinators. Like I was overseeing almost 200 people Wow. from, from a small airplane operation over, overseeing almost two people and growing it, you know? Um, so, I mean, when a company grows like that and is successful, you get the attention of different types of financial investors and different types of uh, people that want to um, have a piece of the pie, so to speak. Mm. And uh, it, it was, it was very simple in that, uh, you know, I literally got called in um, my partner and I, you know, partner of the week before got called in um, and they're like, you know, we're going in a different direction. You guys aren't a part of that direction. And it, it was literally who, that quick. Who says that to you? Because there's an owner of the company. Mm -hmm. And then there was, they're, at the time, there were three owners of the company. Three owners. You're yeah. sitting below them. Uh, yep. And then, and, and so it was the three owners bringing you into that conversation? It was one of the three, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was just, we're going in a different direction. And, you know, sorry. You know, and so it was very interesting because I wasn't worried. And this is once again, a difference in the mindset. If that had happened to me at Regency, when I've been working by the, what am I going to do? And Oh my gosh. And you know, as soon as that conversation happens, like, okay, I know I can go get something else and be just fine. Like, so mm -hmm. the, the mindset in that time period had already shifted dramatically from, I can't do this to I'll have another job here and, and no problem. And in fact, that day I had two job offers already right yeah. out of the gate. So it was, it was different total mindset, but then I just went, you know, I just put all this work in, grew this company that I thought I was going to have an ownership in and a part in and, and all this other stuff. Like, why would I go and do that all over again? Hmm. Like, cause I'm not, and you know me, it's just because I grew up in a small business, that was a family business and whatnot. I am not the type of person to just show up, check, you know, nine to five and then be done. And, you know, often I don't worry about what happens. Like I'm always working. I'm always mm -hmm. just wanting to run the business. I'm like, I, I'm going to have to go do my own thing. Like I need to go run my own thing and start my own thing and just, 
and at least take the chance to do it. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to. I'm not going to yeah. be in a position to. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when uh, my partner Kevin and I got together. And, and he, he was and there were, too? He, he, he was, was there a, too. Okay. Yeah, he was there too. He's just like, we can do this and take all the learnings from the last two and a half, two years, really, and just apply it here and just grow it. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, all right, like, I'm ready to roll. Let's go. When do we start? And, um, and that was by far like the, the most excited I'd been to start something because now I had went out and killed it, you know, done a great job at this other company growing it. Now I'm going to get to go own it and do the same thing all over again, you know, with some experience to go, this is a mistake. This is a really good decision. Here's how you handle. I mean, the biggest part in any business is people, right? Managing people and pro- people and processes and problems like okay. the three P's, right? <laughs> That's what you're constantly doing. So I learned a lot from, from that experience. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Now I can set the foundations from the ground up because when I came to that previous company, they had already kind of had the ball rolling already and I had to come in and fix a lot of things and then get to grow it. And sure. so that was, that was almost in some ways more painful um, than just starting over from, from the beginning, doing it right from the ground up. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, literally it was that quick of a decision, I think. And that's when I came out to California, I think it was in June, late in June uh, last year, wasn't it? June uh, last year. No, this year. Was it this year? This it year. Was this year. Yeah, yeah. This year, June of this year. And, um, and I mean, that's when you and I connected when we were at uh, resolution, just like yeah. to my own thing, man. Like, you know, yeah. Guess what happened? Yeah. I was like, what the hell? And Oh, by the way, I'm here buying an airplane, which yeah. by the way, like <laughs> you just don't have those conversations every day. Right. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, we don't have to dig too deep into it, but, um, you start a, a an aviation service from the ground up right? Like Correct. ex nihilio from nothing, nothing. to from something. Nothing. Yeah. And so, uh, what are some of like, other than just the basics of like, I have to start a but you know, I form a business entity and da, 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 yeah. da. like, what were some of the couple of really big hurdles and or things that you do to, to start a business flying airplanes? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, it's a, it's a federally regulated business. So like you have to, you have to go through all the licensing and certification requirements that the FAA requires. And that's not a, I'll just fill this out and do it. It's like sure. several thousand pages of manuals and procedures and operational documents that you need to send to them and then prove that you are able to do those things before they allow you to hold out, you know, is what they call it, holding out to the general public. Mm. You know, that's like a big, it's a big thing for them. It's just like, you know, um, you know, you can't just serve food, start your own restaurant, you gotta, you know, I'm sure you gotta go to the FDA or something like that. Yeah. I don't know the details, but you can't just start serving Brian Miller's, you know, fast food restaurant in your garage, right? Like yeah, you nobody gotta, wants that. You know, yeah, no <laughs> one wants that. <laughs> so so like a lot of those processes are come from experience, which I had a lot of. Um, I almost at that point now almost nine years of dealing with the FAA and knowing how to expedite that process and get it through and submit it right the first time. So there's a lot of most of it regulatory in nature, um, things that you have steps and processes that you have to go through to start something from the ground up. And then from the business side of things, you know, we got to keep cash coming in. So how can we do that while, you know, the, this overhead is being generated by people that need to do it. And the answer was very simple. It's our brokerage firm. It's Alliance uh, Aviation. So you don't, there's no federal oversight on something like that. You're a broker and you're providing service with another operator, Mm -hmm. which is what we are. Okay, great. Make a 15, 20% commission on that. Done. Cash flow out the door. You know, you can move in. So that's. And that was you guys flying their planes or you're just referring business to them? Both. Both. Okay. So like, you know, so they, the broker is basically uh, an an aircraft broker, somebody who has a relationship with an operator like we are now where we have airplanes that we can sell to the public. Right. Well, if you don't, if I don't want to use my airplanes, I can go to somebody who is a licensed operator by the FAA and go, Hey, quote me this trip. Do you want it? it? Yep. They want it. Okay. Charge my markup on it. Here's my customer. Don't try and poach them, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and it's, it's a relationship based business. So Got that, that really is a rarity, but that's how we were able to kind of start the ball rolling to get everything bankable. So, to yep. speak. and um, so like, um, uh, down at an airport, like John Wayne, where there's a lot of, um, mm-hmm. charter companies down there, like what, what's kind of the, um, uh, the split of uh, brokers versus um, owner operators. 
oh, there's probably it's probably ten to one really? of brokers to to owners because it's an easy it's an easy payday for them and it's yeah. just it doesn't require anything. You know, they call them bottom base uh, bottom basement brokers. Where like literally, if you as a broker, if you sell you know ten to fifteen trips a year, you can make one hundred fifty grand mm. for the year. You know what I mean? Just off commissions. So so, so note to the public: if if you can't afford an airplane yourself, uh, and you can't find a seat on Jet Suite, just go to John Wayne, go from door to door, and shop <laughs> until you find the guy at the lowest price, because they're all going to point you to the same airplane. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Just save yourself the commission and go direct to the operator. That's what I would say. <laughs> Don't forget the broker. Go direct to the operator. That's great. Um, okay, but, so then uh, you have to purchase your first airplane. Um, yep. That was, you know, that that June time frame. That's it. You're out here. Yep. You were looking at an airplane. So that happened. You've since yep. acquired a second airplane, or you're in the process yep. of that, and a third yep. one's on the docket. Yep. And uh, so you guys are humming away. Um, and things seem to be going well in that regard. So thinking all the way back to early in our conversation as we're beginning to wrap, uh, one of the greatest challenges, no, the two greatest challenges, I'll go one at a time here. Uh, the first one was uh, in all those years, particularly towards the end of being in the family business. And part of the reason you went out uh, was because of the stress and the, um, the challenge that that put onto your family, right? And so Correct. here we are, uh, just over uh, almost three years now, I guess, from the time that you left in the first place. And so how is that today? How is the family dynamic? How, how, how does that all work out? It's, it's not even the same. 180 degrees, not even the same. I mean, the work is still there. The mm-hmm. work ethic is definitely there. The, the, the need to you're always working is, is definitely still there, but the I'm home every night. I get to take my daughter to school every day. Soon my daughter and my son to school every day. Um, you know, the, the, it's no longer like a battle of parenting because I'm home just as much as, you know, you know, my wife is. And so, um, you know, our marriage quality of life is, is significantly improved, which is a huge improvement, yep. you know, from where it was before. It's, um, it's not the same. It really isn't. I mean, Alyssa, Alyssa would, would tell you that, uh, you know, um, it would, it would have been a challenge to continue to stay married to a pilot mm-hmm. in that lifestyle. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's not as challenging. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm still a challenge. You know, she's still married to you. She's still married to me. Still a challenge. <laughs> still a challenge. I'm still, awesome. I'm still Tim, but it's definitely, it, I wouldn't change the decision, you know, especially for my kids sake. I mean, Fiona, my oldest still remembers what it's like me being gone all the time. Mm-hmm. And my son and my youngest daughter, Lydia uh, Davis and Lydia will never know that. Yeah. You know? Awesome. And so that's, that's really been a good thing, you know, the family element. And, and maybe the bigger question, um, definitely I'm asking myself is so, um, do you feel like you proved anything to yourself? Oh yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing in, I, I've taken on some younger people that have started to mentor. And um, the biggest thing that I proved to myself is that um, I'm trying to think about the best way to word it really. Um, it's really easy to come out of the gate immediately saying you can't do something without even putting an effort in to try it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's even easier to do that when you feel you have a safety net like a family business or something else that it's just not worth trying something or endeavoring out to go do something. Um, And the growth that has come from frankly pain um, and having to make very difficult decisions, leaving friends like you guys and, and Michelle and, um, and family, the, the pain has produced something very, very good for me and for the family. Um, and, uh, and it takes frankly courage to be able to, to make that decision. I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that, to, for others that are out there, like, don't be afraid to make the really difficult decisions, not knowing what the outcome is going to be mm-hmm. because you never do. Like you, uh, I still to this day do not know what this business is going to do two, three, five years from now. Yeah. I just know I'm going to bust my butt to make it work. 
and 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 make wise decisions in the meantime. And it, I, I wish that I'd had other people around me sooner to help foster and encourage the decision to take calculated risks and to have the confidence to just go out and do something on your own or yeah. go and make it, take a risk on this. And here's, here's, here's option A, here's an option B. And yep. you, you know what the consequences are going to be. Just go out and, and take a risk if you're really not happy, not, not in a pessimistic way, which a lot of people brought that up. Oh, you, you think you could do better? Oh, go do whatever, you know, go see what it's really like out there. Yep. Like that's not, that's not how I would, that's not how you're going to help others make wise decisions. Like, you know, for even people that worked for me at the previous company, it's like, Hey Tim, you know, I can go actually do this and get paid more or go do whatever. It's like, Hey, I'm totally supportive of that decision. Here's, here's my advice on that. You know, here's what you can in, in having not a confrontational conversation about it, but a very supportive of, Hey, I don't want you to go. Or if it's someone you want to go like, Hey, good luck, you know, <laughs> but if it's someone that you want to retain, it's like, listen, I want to be supportive of whatever's best for you. And, you know, nine times out of 10, the people would end up wanting to stay because they felt that level of affirmation. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they realized it wasn't a confrontation. It's like, you are valued. I want you to stay here. Or, you know what? That is a better decision. Yeah. You, ha- you can't turn that opportunity down. And I've had yeah. several of those conversations, too, yeah. where it's, it's, that's an opportunity. You need to go out and see what it's going to do for you. And, and I just think that's, that's helped better other people's decisions and lives because it's not about, you know, winning or losing. It's about what's, what's actually best for the person. Yeah. And, <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, I, so, you know, the two things that I heard in there that are most important to reiterate for other people are um, one of you, you started to say, but you know, it doesn't matter what the end looks like, right? Like, it, it, it is the now, right? That doesn't mean that we're not considering our future. We're not considering the long term for ourselves, our family, for a business, whatever. But tomorrow may never come. And yeah. so this, you know, this, um, this deep focus on what's in front of you and, and making the next best decision, uh, handling the next best situation, there's just so much wisdom in that. And people miss that because we're always looking for the finish line or we're always looking for you know, what's next, next, right? Like that, that yeah. huge level up yeah, doing something intentionally, whether it's a, a starting a new business or going to CrossFit and getting jacked. Okay. Like in, and doing something like that, that takes just as much focus to do well. So mm-hmm. if you're gonna, if you're going to make a decision in life, whether it's a small one or a big one, just focus on that and, and get after it. And mm-hmm. don't worry about, you know, five, eight, 10 years, you might fail, you might do whatever. Don't worry about that because it's, you're still putting out just the same amount of effort. <laughs> yeah. So you might as well just focus on go big or go home. You know yeah. what I mean? If that's what you want to do. And everyone's go big is different. You yeah. know, for me, it was starting a business. For others, it might be doing well at their job at Starbucks. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Like whatever yeah. your whatever your big thing is, you can only focus on one thing at a time. So just put all your focus and energy in that anyway. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and then the second thing to that is talking about like, you know, taking that step, taking those risks. I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, it's, it, there's some calculation to it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's anybody that would in wisdom advise somebody to take blind, just totally blind leaps of faith, mm-hmm. right? No. We may, we may say that, but we understand, you know, where our gifts are, where our strengths are, where the opportunities lie, where the risks are. And again, that's what I really appreciate about um, both what you shared today, but also then in watching you step through this process, which is like, it was a long time. You know, some people may say, gosh, well, you waited too long. I mean, clearly we believe you and I very aligned in this, that God appoints a specific time in which you're going to do the things that you're going to do. And yet you went to, um, many advisors, you prayed about it, you talked to your wife about it, you, right. It was like, there was all of this calculation and consideration and in hindsight so far, right. Not that everything was perfect, but that has served you extremely well. And that's something that other people need to take into consideration is like, you should take risks. Like you Mm -hmm. should step out in faith but it's got to be based upon a foundation of understanding yeah. and wise counsel around you. Yeah. Base, base it off of all those things. And, and what I tell, you know, the team out here, whether it's my ops team that's doing strategy or whether it's somebody that I'm mentoring is you have to have an exit strategy. Yep. 
Like what, what is your out in case that doesn't work? And that's not planning for failure. That's being wise about it. People like to talk about being wise when you make decisions. Okay. Well, knowledge and wisdom, two different things. We all know that, right? Well, you have the knowledge of how you're going to make the decision. So if something doesn't transpire the way you want it to, how are you going to pivot and get out of it? Yep. Because so that's true. being prepared. And if you can't, if you can't have an exit strategy, that's when you have to really determine, is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. Is this really something that it's worth pursuing? Because you're probably going to say no, if you don't have an exit strategy, on that. Yep. You just, Absolutely. especially if you have a wife and kids, you know what yep. I mean? Like that, that has to be one of those, Yeah. you know, you can't get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Yeah. All right, buddy. I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm so, so stoked to see, you know, where you're at, at the place you are in life again, like, you know, um, you know, at sometimes very closely at other times from a distance, just watching you labor through this process and work hard and continue to be committed to doing the right thing. Um, it's just, I, I'm, I'm so stoked to see where you are. It always sounds weird when I say things like this, but just so proud of, you know, where you are and happy to consider you a friend. And, uh, I, and I know that if you just continue to lean into the things that you've learned through this, that, that, you know, there's just so much left for you. So thank you for sharing that. I just, I really appreciate you. No, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, being able to talk with you today and, you know, you are a good friend. You're a big reason why I was able to make some of the decisions, you know, I mean, not just meeting in CrossFit and doing all that stuff together, which was great, but just the the friendship, the time together with our wives and family. Like it's, it's a, it's a lifelong relationship that uh, I'm proud to say that we have together. And, and um, it business in life is about relationships really is yeah. and cultivating that. So that benefits everybody. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we're still kind of humming along doing our thought, doing our stuff together and you know. doing the best we can. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, okay. So uh, anybody wants to get in contact with you, pretend that they want to, hire your company and, or maybe they just want to reach out and get more advice because they're looking to do the same thing. What are the best ways for people to get in contact with you? Yeah. uh, Our website, www.wingaviationgroup.com. You can get it. That's all of our contact information is listed on there. You can get aircraft quotes, um, parts quotes, because we're also maintenance and parts business. So if, if somebody wants any of that information, it's literally all detailed on our website. Um, and all of our email addresses and phone numbers are on there as well. So just go to our website, everything's there, it's posted up. And then, uh, we're gonna have some social media presence here in the next couple months as well. We're going to start a campaign here in the next probably two months. We'll have okay. some more airplanes to show off and fun things to advertise. Um, and then, uh, and you know, flyalliance.us is also our, our brokerage side of things as well too. So, awesome. Um, okay. I'll, I'll make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes and um, I'll link up your LinkedIn profile. I know you spend some time on there every now and again. I've got a big, yeah. uh, a, lot, a big part of my audience that listens here is there. So that'll be a good way yeah. for them to contact you as well. So thanks again, awesome. man. I just, I really appreciate it. Anytime, dude. All right, guys, wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to give us some sort of feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. I'd love to hear it all. Just appreciate you committing the time. These episodes have been going longer than they had in the past, and I think for good reason, good conversation, lots to take from, lots to learn. So appreciate you investing that time into me, uh, and ultimately, I hope that is uh, doing a lot to reward you as you continue to be the very best version of yourself. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.